These time givers are things that happen externally in our environment or behaviors that then can tell the body what time it is and what to be doing when. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to provide insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 99 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee from Vegas, and I'm here with my sister, Lauren from Vegas. <laughs> yeah, calling in from Vegas. Uh, in Vegas. Yeah, and I'm in New York City from New York. Not really, from Maryland. <laughs> wow, 99. We are almost at 100. So excited to be here. Yes. Molly coming on today. Yes, I'm so excited. Um, Molly, well, I won't even tell the story now because I tell it when she comes on, but how we met was so funny and we've been great friends ever since. She is my go-to expert on everything sleep-related. She started Sleep as a Skill. You'll learn a lot more about that today, but great, great sleep advice and her knowledge is just endless. We could have talked forever. <laughs> yeah. What a humbling interview. I thought that we knew a lot about sleep. I was like, oh yeah. Okay. I'm taking notes. I don't often take notes during an interview because I just try to be really present, but I was like, if I don't write this down, like, I'm going to regret it. So yes. she's just a wealth of information. Please check out her podcast, but you're going to learn so much about sleep today, whether you struggle with it or not really in amazing information about circadian rhythms and just optimizing, uh, light, dark cycles, optimizing literally everything in your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. You might think you're a good sleeper, but wait and see what she says. You might yeah. realize you need to optimize your sleep a little bit more. Yep. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, before I bring Molly on, let me give you her bio here. So Molly McLaughlin is the creator and lead behavioral change coach at sleep as a skill, a company that optimizes people's sleep through a unique blend of technology, accountability, and behavioral change. After navigating insomnia while traveling internationally, she created what she couldn't find, a place to go to learn the skill set of sleep. With a background in behavioral change from the nonverbal group, she became fascinated with chronobiology and its practical application to sleep and our overall experience of life. All right, this is a fun episode, so let's go ahead and bring Molly on. Here we go. Welcome, Molly, to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We're thrilled to have you today. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Oh my goodness. I feel like I could talk to you two all day long. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. yes. I know. I think we're going to, we're going to have to find a way to end it before we hit the three hour mark <laughs> <No>. today. <laughs> and I have to say, so funny story, how Molly and I met, um, we were attending the Bulletproof virtual conference. Uh, gosh, what was that? Like last October, September. Yes. And they had this like awesome chat room and everyone was chiming in. Oh, where are you from? Where are you from? And I'm like screaming Vegas. Like, is anyone else from Vegas? And yes. finally this girl, Molly chimes in <laughs> and Amazing. I feel like we've been like BFF since like, we just like started doing audio messages and talking every day. And finally met and you're just such an amazing person. You're, you're such a great friend. You're so knowledgeable in this field of sleep. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today, but just, we've been looking forward to this for so long and so happy to have you. Oh, well, thank you so much for saying that. And I was actually going to mimic the exact same thing. It was like one of the coolest things to come out of that. You know, it's a virtual conference. It, you know, it was navigating during the pandemic. How do these things work? What can you get? What can come out of something like that? And it was incredible. I mean, just now to have you in my life seeing, I'm so inspired by all the work that you're doing. Um, and now to be connected with Lauren too, as well, just like the, the difference that you guys are making in the world is huge. So really, really grateful. And yes, definitely excited for our conversation today and more to come. Thank you. And I'm so glad to finally meet you because we haven't actually met, but I next know. week we will in person. Yes, I know. But 
I just, it's so Maybe. funny, like growing up, because I'm older than Renee, I felt like I was always introducing her to my friends. And now recently I'm like, can I be friends with your friends, Renee? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do have very cool friends. It's <laughs> very true. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, that is so cool. Yeah. I'm very excited for our in real life um, meetup. And yeah, you know, I think the pandemic brought um, interesting ways of experiencing friendships more virtually. Uh, and absolutely, Renee, uh, we've sent a number of voice notes back and forth. And, <laughs> you know, yes. to, so we got boxer. to experience, yeah, and boxer, what boxer, that can yeah. all look like. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, tech. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also with the pandemic came a lot of sleep issues, right? I know we've all seen that. I I have to say, I'm fortunate. I haven't experienced that, but I know Molly, a lot of your clients have been coming to you and you're like, oh my God, since the pandemic, I can't sleep. But before we even go down that rabbit hole, you know, sleep is a skill, first of all, such a cool name and subject because sleep really is a skill, but what got you interested in sleep? Why are you so passionate about the topic? Yeah. The why is very, um, I think pertinent to this conversation, uh, because, uh, the creation of sleep is a skill really came from, uh, the aim to solve my own problem with my sleep. So what it had looked like was, um, I was a serial entrepreneur living in Manhattan, burning the candle at both ends. And over the years, uh, had a number of labels around my sleep as it related to my sleep. And it would look like some version of I'm a night owl. I'm a short sleeper. I'm a bad sleeper you know, it's in my genes, it's this, that, and the other, and a fixed sort of, uh, look at that. And a really, uh, almost like a resignation or no need to reevaluate that area because that's how it is. Uh, and so coming from that perspective, that was brought me a particular set of results. And I didn't correlate as I was starting to get more and more sick, more often, more anxious, more stressed, more, um, intense symptoms for my period, a number of things that just were not working clearly. And And it wasn't until I went through my own period of insomnia while traveling internationally. So my fiance and I, we had literally bought a one-way ticket and it was going to be the beginning of traveling the world. And it was supposed to be this thing. And yet the amount of stress that we were under with our businesses showed that we weren't, you know, there's still so many stressors to bring on the road. And the symptomology of that for me was I couldn't sleep. It was so, you know, I can say now like, oh, it's frustrating. It was upset. It was so not even, I don't even have words. Like it was just, and it was mystifying. Yeah, exactly. And it was also just felt like a major failure and like this rock bottom moment in my life of just, okay, now I can't even do the most basic thing that should, you know, should quote unquote be, you know, given to all of us as a general basic skill. Right. And yet uh, at the same time that actually that rock bottom moment ended up being in retrospect, one of the best things that ever happened to me because hitting that actually the, you know, the cost now outweighed any sort of, you know, reasons to keep this sort of way of being around that I had had for a number of, you know, for most of my adult life. So with that, then, then ensued, um, really this quest to shift this area because at its lowest, what it looked like was going to the doctors in Croatia with Google translate and being like, help, like I can't sleep leaving with sleeping pills. Like, and this ensued as we're traveling and we're hopping from different place. So, uh, Croatia, Budapest and Italy, Italy, and all three of those places, a series of Xanax, Valium and Ambien and all of those things. And just so conflicted because knowing that I I can't be taking, I'm supposed to be a healthy person. And yet I'm taking these things and yet, but it's so desperate that then still wanting to sleep. So it was a real kind of inner battle, but it then did create the absolute sense of urgency to shift this area. So lots of things that I went down the rabbit hole on, uh, then once restoring level of homeostasis to my sleep, cause we actually flew back from travels. We went back to New York to really handle my sleep. It was that much of an area. And so once restoring that, then, um, embarking on optimizing. So, cause as I shared, it wasn't that great before. Uh, and so it's not even like, Oh, okay, well now I'm here and now it's good. It, it wasn't even working. It was broken before. 
So then this uh, conversation of now optimizing became fascinated with this world of chronobiology, circadian rhythm optimization, and it really changed my life. So I couldn't stop talking about it, started naturally uh, working with, you know, other people just that were struggling because I was so empathetic because I had been through so much there. And then it built into now we have one-on-one courses, we have cohorts, we have weekly newsletters, podcasts, just, you know, this whole world's got created out of really some inner struggles with my own sleep. So I'm really excited to speak more about what, you know, what that looks like and what can be possible when diving into this from this context of it being a skill set. That's incredible. It's so awesome what you can learn just by being challenged with something yourself. And I just, I can't wrap my mind around this idea that sleep is a skill when it's so necessary. It should just be easy. It's like breathing should be easy, but that also is a skill that we've somehow turned upside down and it's so difficult. I mean, so many people are so tired throughout the entire day and then they go to lay down at bed and they're not tired. What do you think is the biggest driver of this sleep deprivation epidemic? Yeah. And such a great point too, because there, uh, this concept, I think it can be really empowering first to start in this um, context that there's an opportunity if something's not working to pull in this conversation of skill set. So breath work, great example as well, uh, but certainly sleep. And I do get the irony. So some people might be hearing this and they might not be stole, sold on this conversation of it being a skill set. And they might say, well, you know, come on, like you're going to, you're going to sleep eventually, whatever. And I think the reason that it's important to take a look at this is one in the 21st century, this conversation that it's become a skill set. Now, if we were to go back ancestral days and kind of make this argument, it might've been a little bit of a harder uh, stance to have because there was such living in tandem with the rhythms of nature. You know, we're living outdoors uh, much more um, at higher numbers. You know, since 2016, the World Health Organization has given numbers around the average person spending around 90% of their days inside. And this was before a pandemic, you know, before we're navigating these times when things are so So in inside living, and so why does that matter for sleep? Very important for sleep because these rhythms are so greatly affected by these triggers externally. So in uh, circadian rhythm entrainment, it's this conversation of uh, zeitgeivers or time givers. So these time givers are things that happen externally in our environment um, or behaviors that then can tell the body what time it is and what to be doing when. Uh, So if we are devoid of that access to uh, those natural cycles that just kind of took care of a lot of this for us. Now we're getting mixed messages where we have the opportunity to really live 24 hour lifestyles. You know, Renee and I are right now in uh, Vegas and, and I had been, you know, where Lauren is uh, for many years in New York and both have the opportunity to have you know, all day, every day, you all can night. be up. Yeah, all night, all yep. day. Yeah, the whole you want thing. a coffee at 4 a.m., you can find it. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. With lots of light, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe not natural light, but lots of light available. So it can be very, very confusing. I work with a lot of poker players on their sleep. Um, and certainly, as we know, in uh, casinos, they're often designed in a method or a, a manner to ensure that we are confused on the time and what kind of is going on externally so that we kind of lose that space and time um, paradigm. And that is very, very important for the automaticity of our sleep. Uh, And so we also found that when people during the pandemic were now living even more indoor living of fear, you know, some elements of fear of going outside and concerns there. And so with that, we see kind of a um, cascading amount of difficulty with sleep. And that's not the only reason. Then of course there's stressors, management of uh, a number of things when you don't have some of those original cues, even things like, you know, certain routines that you were acting on in train the body that might be just, you know, when you see the, you know, your coworkers, when you eat at certain times, the lighting, you get all these act as really account onable triggers and tell the body what to be doing when, and the body loves consistency, you know, for 
greater or lesser um, element. And there's kind of an averaging out system that happens. So with the restriction of that, then we saw some problems for sleep. Yeah. I mean, circadian rhythm, like we talk about that a lot on the show. I think it's so important, but so I'm curious, you said you work with a lot of poker players Yes. are your fiance, my husband as well, but their lifestyle is just so crazy. And I actually think yeah. it's somewhat similar to Broadway performers like Lauren, yeah. like you're in, you're inside yeah. a space where you don't know what time of day it is. It tends to be light, uh, really light, uh, bright lights at night. Yeah. And like Ryan, the other night he's playing poker till four in the morning. And then his HRV just sucks for three days. So what are some biohacks that people can do that are in one of these crazy worlds? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Great question. And one, you know, cause it can be really, um, a stance that some people take, oh, okay, well, you got to know that this is going to impact your health and this and the other, and it's very real. There are concerns about, you know, world health organization listing, uh, shift working as a possible carcinogenic, you know, some very real, you know, things that can come about from that. Some concerns around studies that point to upticks in all cause mortality for being outside of that um, kind of natural uh, rhythm routinely. So there is that. And at the same time, shift workers are incredibly important to the fabric of our society. There's a lot of, you know, gratitude for the fact that these people are, you know, really making a difference in different uh, capacities. So then how do we work within that paradigm? couple things then. So one of the things we do at Sleep is a Skill is we create your circadian crafted day. So your circadian crafted day is really through the lens of this conversation of entraining your circadian rhythm. Because I think one thing that's interesting that, you know, many, I certainly didn't know this when I was dealing with my sleep element of things was that our circadian rhythm exists on a spectrum. And so you can either be sort of on a weak side of that spectrum or a strong side of the spectrum, but there's a lots of maneuverability uh, within that spectrum. Uh, what we're aiming to do is many of us are just by nature of the current modern day lifestyle going to be hanging out more on that uh, weaker side. So kind of moving things over to that stronger side comes through having this lens of what are some of the things that we can do to strengthen this cue and trigger system. So this is for anyone, uh, but certainly you're jumping right to the very important conversation that especially for shift workers or people that are outside of those rhythms, it even it becomes even more imperative of getting connected to this. So one of the big conversations is really as much as we can creating a lifestyle around, uh, this, you know, kind of schedule that you have. One of the most challenging that I've found are the variable, uh, shift workers. So ones that one week it's on next week, it's off the next week, it's mm. something else. You know, a yeah, lot of that can right. really, um, You're better off just like always being a night always. Worker. every day. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's got to be yes. so rough. And then, you know, always being a night shift worker and um, and then also having that kind of always mentality uh, applying itself for even your off days, because then often we'll see people, even if they have that consistent schedule, okay, well, then on the weekends, they try to align with what their friends are doing or, you know, people that are important to them, their kids or whatever. Uh, and then that's where often things can go awry. So instead making this commitment that, because this is what we're aiming to do for anyone that's looking to improve their sleep is to create a consistent sort of schedule that really happens largely seven days a week. And so that it doesn't fall um, victim to term, you know, social jet lag, which I'm sure you guys have probably spoken about. I actually think it could use a new name because at this point I often <laughs> it, right? Because, you yeah. know, and it well, kind of, a, right? Yeah. We wrote an ebook about social jet lag oh, and our marketing on. people, our marketing people were like, well, no what, one's, tra what is, uh, no no one's traveling. <laughs> Yeah, no one's being really social. Know. No one's traveling. <laughs> okay. So first so we of need all, a new term. this we is another reason term. why I just love you guys. So, you know, marketing heads all together, we can come up with a new name uh, because, yes. you know, we would see this, you know, it used to kind of fit in a particular paradigm because, oh, well, largely I go to bed um, around the same time, Monday through Thursday or Friday, and then the weekend comes and then I start deviating and then it's just an easy bucket. Okay. Well, social jet lag, probably doing socially things. And yet now one of the things that I'll see with clients is often they might not be having much of a social life at all, or the uh, pandemic is happening. And yet there's this pull, you know, you might have 
seen some of those things popping around in social media, what have you, this like kind of revenge procrastination of bedtime, you know, kind of that self, um, you know, inflicting on ourselves to shift our bedtime. You know, we'll see so many people do that just by themselves, watching Netflix, being on the phone, reading, whatever they might be doing. Uh, and then there's no one really involved, but they're shifting out their um, bedtime, wake time. And this is a um, really important one just for all of us, but also for those shift workers of how we can create just that consistency so that the body can count on the time that it's going to get tired, the time that it's going to, um, you know, be alert and then, you know, can, uh, properly produce hormones in alignment with that at the timing of that. And I think many of us, I, again, to use myself as the example, what not to do for so many years, uh, it was that there wasn't that level of reverence for, for my body and kind of helping to guide it. I was in this conversation of, you know, Oh, it's mind over matter. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, obviously if you're, if your mental game is strong, then you can pull through this, you know, you got a certain amount of sleep. That's fine. That's sufficient without being connected to the levels of impact that even just a lack of regularity for our sleep can bring. And I think that can be a really empowering one for those of us that might have some other concerns around our sleep. If we can even lean into this conversation of regularity, where you're largely getting uh, your kind of dosing of sleep at around the same bedtime, around the same wake time, even if that has you have a bit of a less, uh, a lower amount of total sleep. And it's not, we're not putting the cap on what's possible, but we're saying if you were to lean into that and having um, consistency, many studies point to that that is preferable to nine hours, one night, seven hours, the next night, four hours, nine hours, 10 hours, you know, all over the place, because then our sleep architecture changes changes in alignment with that. Uh, so even if you just stand in that one stance uh, from the get-go, that can really be an empowering place because many of us can control at least that time we go to bed and the time we wake up. Yeah. Yeah. So you have something, Renee? I, I was just going to say real quick, that's one thing I love about the BioStrap is how it, yes. like it's looking at your sleep architecture and then saying, okay, the ideal bedtime is this, ideal wake time is this. And it's been fun mm -hmm. trying to really like follow that. Each Absolutely. Day. Oh my Sorry, goodness. Yeah. I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, because so one of the things that we're really, um, our commitment with sleep is a skill is standing in this intersection between technology, accountability, and behavioral change. And that technology side of it is often one of the first places that I have certainly people begin. And I think you guys are right in alignment with that as well, because one that can give us such levels of, uh, awareness of where things have been, you know, where we are now, and then also a game plan for where we're going versus just having that fogginess or gray area of, well, I think my sleep's okay. And I also <laughs> think this has opened up the uh, doors for so many other people that previously had said, Oh, my sleep's fine. That's not even an area. I don't even need to talk about that. And then they get a tracker and then it's like, like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and I That's get enough. I actually get a lot of men. And interestingly enough, not to have it a gender conversation, but the, you know, a number of the people that um, are coming my way are really intrigued with this data component of things. And I love what you, uh, what you've created with biohacker babes and making a stance and the possibility for um, more and more women to be getting in on this conversation. Cause I also find when women are in this conversation, they're just as passionate about this. And yet um, I do still find a prevalence of men coming um, who've been tracking. Now they've got sometimes five different trackers going at once. And oh now gosh. they want, how do I, you know, improve this area? So, uh, yeah. it's a really, uh, exciting time, I think in the world of sleep optimization. Totally. I had that experience with my boyfriend because we've had aura rings in our family for years now. Yes. And my boyfriend, Jeremy was never really interested because he's always been a great sleeper. This is what yes. he's I'm an aura ring. It's like, Oh, okay. We see, we see some <laughs> gaps. We see like, if you have, a drink. It's going to affect it. If you were watching TV too, like he's starting to put those pieces together, but he just had this narrative. It was like, I sleep really well. Like I fall asleep. I don't know any different because I've never teased out the metrics or really paid attention. I think the data makes you pay attention. Yes, it does. Yeah. Makes you pay attention. It gives you reverence newly for things that we might not have. And we might've had this like kind of, oh, well, common sense. Yeah, obviously we're not going to feel as great if we eat a lot, drink a lot, whatever. But then when you really see the numbers, <laughs> it's such a different conversation, right? It's just oh, yeah. really it's laughing at the common sense piece, but yeah. Yeah. And then, right. And, the, but it is, and then it's so, you know, people will say that and myself included, because I so rarely drink now at 
this point, although, you know, I'm always trying to find ways to still make it work. I know Renee and I, we've been, we test out all kinds of different, how maybe this one will. Psychedelic water, (laughs) hot water. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're testing out all these things. And yet, you know, I was born on St. Patrick's day, you know, green beer flowing on my birthday every year. And yet what's happened for me is, uh, you know, just more and more of that clarity and things shift as you age and a number of things, a number of things going on here, but just, it does bring you a level of awareness and a real kind of cause and effect. And I think it can make us informed choosers in our life of, are we going to engage in this thing that is likely to bring about a particular result? And sometimes we do, you know, that is worth it to me. Um, I had a anthropologist on the podcast who I loved, who spoke to sleep in this terms of uh, sometimes you're going to choose investing in your social capital. So investing in, you know, the people that are important to you and really connecting. And sometimes that's going to be what you choose. Um, and then other times yeah. you're going to invest in your sleep capital. Uh, I love that. So- Right. And I thought that was a really cool because, you know, speaking to the massive importance from an anthropological perspective of our tribe and our connection and our community and, you know, how that's so important. And it shows up in our sleep results. Like if you're ostracized from the tribe or whatever, you're going to likely have that show up in your numbers and overall sense of well-being, which is such an esoteric yet uh, interesting area to try to bring uh, quantified conversation to. But, um, you know, so having said that, absolutely. Once like it sounds like with Jeremy, then suddenly, oh my goodness. Okay. So now I'm starting to have this, these data points that I didn't necessarily have black and white numbers to before. Yeah. There's something to play with. Yes. It can be, it can be fun and stressful <laughs> and fun. Exactly. <laughs> you gotta find the right balance. Find yeah. The right balance. So I wanted to go back just a step. So we put consistency as like a number one priority. And I think there's probably some subcategories. Like we know light is really important with optimizing circadian rhythm. And I'm thinking about what Renee said about poker players and me working in theater. Sometimes we're indoors and it's dark. There's been so many days when I've been at a daytime rehearsal. I'm like, I have no idea what time it is. I walk outside. I think it's 10 PM. I'm like, oh, the sun is still up. (laughs) Yes. Would you say that there is an optimal amount of uh, light to dark that we should be receiving? And if I'm receiving a lot of dark signals during my day, how much would I, I'm just going to insert the word biohack in there. Like how much would I need to sort of neutralize that or, or balance out that equation? Is there an optimal percentage or number? Yes. Really good question. Well, even so pulling it back, uh, yes, consistency is super important. So consistency is sort of like our umbrella for everything we're doing. And one of the main frameworks that we operate within is circadian rhythm entrainment. So in training our circadian rhythm for that strengthening goal that we're uh, speaking to, and you hit the nail on the head that light is the most important. So, and of course light is not, uh, you can't talk about light. light. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, you can't talk about light without talking about darkness and talking about all, like you said, all the spectrums of light. Uh, So really becoming a connoisseur of light and the timing of that and how that plays a role in this kind of even the shift working uh, biohacks that Renee was speaking to. And then for all of us. So what does this look like? So essentially what we're looking to do is to create a high enough ratio. Now there isn't a specific number. It's just a, a kind of an amplitude. So it's like a high, uh, a large enough amount of light to offset then a drop in light into the evening. So really looking to have dim to darkness. So uh, right now actually, um, or starting tomorrow is uh, the Sleep 2021 online virtual conference. I think your your dad might be joining in on that one is what I uh, heard word of. Mm -hmm. And uh, so last year, one of their takeaways was bright days, dim nights. And, you know, so it was just like, that was the big kind of takeaway of one of the large takeaways of the conference. So this bright days, dim nights. So what we're trying to have is this clear ratio. Now it's going to be different. So I don't want people to feel like left out of the conversation if they're saying, oh, well, I'm in a Northern, you know, hemisphere location and I'm not going to get as much light. It's like, oh, well, why bother? You know, because we'll hear a lot of people I work with people in whatever, um, Alaska, Sweden, different parts where they've just got lots of different things going on with the, the rhythms of light that they're exposed to. And that can be a, you know, one of the responses as well over here, it's a whole different story. So, you know, this doesn't almost apply to me or I got to just lower what's possible. Um, so we don't want that. Mm. So certainly, um, where you are and the location, the timing of the year, a number of things are going to impact the quality or the amount of that light that you're receiving. So one um, kind of rule of thumb is that we're looking to have as much bright light exposure 
in the first half of our day. So if you have any control over the creation and lineup of your day and the light exposure, what you really want to anchor that in is the first half of the day. And ideally within the first 30 minutes or so, but certainly within the first couple hours. And we're looking to have a, a significant chunk of time, ideally. So anywhere from 20 minutes to, um, you know, I have some clients that will really aim to get around an hour each morning. Now, I know that that's not always kind of doable for a lot of people, or at least if you're starting out from a tiny habit perspective, beginning even with a few minutes, but you're aiming to have that right in your eye, um, you know, hit your eyes. And the reason for that being that it's directly connected to our super chiasmatic nucleus, as I know you guys um, have done some work on, which is fantastic. Uh, and so that's going to reset our master clock each day. There is an averaging out element. So if you, you know, one day it's really busy and you're only able to get a few minutes, as long as you're able to largely keep this a regular part of your kind of routine, then uh, the body can often kind of adjust, but there, there is a difference in the amount that, um, as long as you're able to lean into this routinely. So anchoring that in on the first half of the day. If it's a cloudy overcast day, then some people say they like will skip it, which actually it's the opposite is what we're going for. You want to extend the amount of time that you're outside when it is that overcast day. Uh, so then that actually behooves us to even in those northern latitude locations that we're aiming to get ourselves uh, a significant chunk out of that time, time that we're spending outside. This also applies in the winter. So, you know, you can be more extreme. Like one of the reasons, other, one of the ways that we select where we're uh, living. So we've been traveling now for the last, before the pandemic, around three years, and we would aim to pick um, places that were, you get a lot of bright light exposure. You know, certainly Vegas is one of those at this point. Uh, yep, we that's where I came here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, kind of, you know, some people throw out the 37th parallel and, you know, aiming to be below that when possible. Now, I know that that's not always practical. I was born in Maine, you know, lived in New York for a bunch of years. So there's times when we can't necessarily do that. So that's when there are different conversations. Some people can lean into faux light, which is a tricky conversation. Things like spurty are light boxes that then you can produce your own vitamin D from. And so, you know, even some people have that covered under doctor's prescriptions. And so there's, you know, different things that you can lean into with that. But we want that amplitude to be really high. You can also use lux meters um, on your phone to you know, kind of measure the lux that's in the environment versus inside. And then do remember, because so many people will glaze over this conversation. They say, well, it's fine. I'm by a window. I get, there's a light. It's okay. Uh, but, yep. um, but, you know, then Not just the remember. Same. <laughs> right? But then uh, remembering Dr. Jamie Zeitzer, you know, he's done a number of studies around um, circadian rhythm effects for a number of years from the lighting perspective and puts it anywhere from 50 to 100 times longer to adjust and reset that master clock each day when getting that light behind a window. So it kind of, and it's not as if it's a, um, it's not like a mathematical equation when, oh, okay, we'll just spend, you know, 50 to hundred times longer in front of the window. Uh, it doesn't really work like that. So, yeah. um, so instead we're aiming to get ourselves outside without those, um, sunglasses on the first half of the day. Now, if you're in, you know, Broadway and then you're coming out in the, in the afternoons, that's often kind of referred to as the circadian dead zone where there's, there's a importance of getting outside and for a number of health reasons, excitatory, um, you know, kind of the dopamine hit from the, the sun, the activation, you know, as far as, um, just being more alert, vitamin D possibilities, all of these really positive things. But from a circadian perspective, there's for, and this is it's for speaking generalities, because of course, if, if your afternoon is someone else's morning, you know, but if, if for the average person's afternoon, then that falls into that kind of circadian dead zone because it's hmm. more about the poles. So you want to be connected to that first half. And then we're looking to have a significant drop post sunset. And so using sunset as a way to kind of trigger that now we're uh, kind of downshifting and then going into that evening and then setting up your environment accordingly. Uh, NASA's done a number of really interesting studies on this and how they kind of point it is static lighting versus dynamic lighting. So static lighting would be having that, um, you know, same type of lighting throughout the entire course of your day. You know, again, using myself as an example for so long, I would be waking up late. I would often wake up like zombie, like <laughs> one, like lights down. Uh, maybe I have a headache, maybe I have whatever, I'm just like surviving. And then it's not till later on after some coffee, after all the things, then I'm finally 
flipping on the lights, probably more into like the early evening, everything's upside down. So that would be kind of this example of this misalignment um, of certainly these cues for my circadian rhythm. But what we want to have is in alignment with our rhythms, having dynamic lighting, because then we see a real measurable, very cool uptick in uh, melatonin production. Uh, but then also just a shift in kind of our brain chemistry of then down-regulating in the evenings in alignment with those kind of natural shifts. Yeah. Everything that Broadway is not. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Broadway, yeah, that's just that's just a tough one, just like the casinos. But I've heard some offices now are doing, I think maybe it is called dynamic lighting. Like in the morning, they're doing like full spectrum, high lux or whatever. And then throughout the day, they're dimming. Yes. So, so smart. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything we're talking about, what's really cool too, is that what's likely is that more, you know, sooner than later, one, we won't need to be thinking about this lighting element of things as much, at least from an internal perspective, like hospitals are really beginning to advocate more and more for this. Cause then they see, um, improved kind of healing time, release time for patients, you know, and, and they've even yeah. seen that based on studies of our people getting access to just window rooms versus non-window rooms. And then how can mm. they mimic that when they don't have access to windows? Uh, so really important conversation there, yeah, but then also, so the second on the rung of most important for that circadian rhythm entrainment is temperature. Uh, so that will be um, most likely another area that will be automatized so that then the temperature in your space, the ambient temperature will uptick in the days uh, to kind of better facilitate what our body temperature shifts are meant to be if they're in alignment is that there's that rise throughout the course of the day and then a dropping in the evening. And so then all of that just gets handled. So right now I can manually do that when I wake up, I'm turning up the uh, temperature in the space. And then in the evening, um, down ticking that until, you know, getting as, I like to put it as cold as humanly possible and with the cooler and, uh, yeah, same. <laughs> and so, you know, just getting that kind of shift can be really, really important. What's fascinating too, is that there's a number of things that also impact that body temperature that I think many of us might not have been as connected to. I certainly wasn't. So some of those being like, um, our meal timing or meal type or meal volume, um, our exercise timing, exercise type thought timing, I think is a really fascinating one. Uh, I think I might've mentioned this, maybe Renee, maybe we spoke about this, but one thing that I've always thought was really fascinating is one piece of tech that was actually at CES just recently, um, as well, but it's called the EB EBB, EBB, and not because anyone needs to get this piece of tech or anything. Um, but the more just because of what it points to, and it's around cooling of the prefrontal cortex, um, Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So the concern that when we see people that um, kind of are in that category of chronic insomniacs, that they are dealing with um, kind of a heating up of their, of their brain matter, brain matter in their prefrontal cortex consistently. And then it's kind of that counter cue to the body. So it's, you know, if, if that is happening versus when we're trying to cultivate a down um, shift in our core body temperature, it's kind of mismatched signals. So this is a, a piece of tech that has some trial behind it, looking at the efficacy of just the cooling being, um, providing a trigger for the body to say, oh, okay, it is time to sleep. It's time to relax, time mm, to cool down. So cool. So yeah. So, yeah. you know, and not saying everyone needs to get like a cooling headband thing, but, um, more or mattress just, or, yeah, so or many, right. not yeah. necessarily that, but more just, um, like the fascination that, oh my God, my thoughts can be, you know, affecting, uh, my body temperature and that can behoove us to then take reverence for thought timing. That's one of the things that we'll do with clients too, is just noticing, you know, I have a number of clients that once we start pattern spotting, so that we'll have them do sleep bots. So daily check-ins, um, around, what's happening with their sleep. And then we often find reliable patterns that just kind of come out again and again, they, you know, Oh, I didn't even notice the fact that, you know, I'm often speaking with my partner about the kids or the bills or the whatever before bed. Um, and it can seem like sort of just this like benign, no problem thing. And yet it continues to show up again, and again, in sleep latency times and, you know, kind of, uh, frequency of wakeups and a number of things. Uh, so that thought timing is another one. And then of course, other things that will affect body temperature, chronopharmacology. So looking at the timing of different drugs that we might be taking. And we kind of spoke to some of, you know, the very popular ones, alcohol, THC, caffeine, you know, some of those common, then there's also supplements that some people might be taking that might be counter, you know, effective as far as what their goals are with their sleep or different drugs that they might be taking that uh, might be affecting some of their sleep quality. And that's what I'll see a lot of two people dealing with. They've now been on different, you know, sleeping medications 
or uppers throughout the day, you know, so if they're dealing with, you know, Adderall or uh, different things to have a particular effect throughout the day and then the kind of the difficulty within the evening. So lots of management systems there. Oh yeah. I think the worst thing is when you had caffeine too late in the day and you're like, Ah, yes. Why did I do that? And I will <laughs> say one of my erased. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I usually sleep at like 67 degrees in my, in my room, but I notice if I eat too late or have alcohol, any of those things, I have to bump it to 65 to get the same quality of sleep. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, degrees. So that's my, that's my hack. That's like, not like a cooling mattress and the headband. Like, yes, no, <laughs> yet, I love that. And, um, and I think that can also, it's huge. Yeah. And just being able to, I think there's power in this education process. So exactly what you both are doing and, you know, standing for is this conversation. The more we know the, you know, more we can take new action action and informed action. Um, and that's really our commitment with sleep as a skill is this conversation that, you know, cause then there are going to be times when I'm sure, you know, when we've engaged in different, having a drink, having a whatever. Um, so then we want to, if we've already made that choice, then how can we mitigate some of the damage that might happen for the, you know, the next day and the recovery process. Um, and so having those things in our back pocket are huge. I literally was just speaking with yeah. a client. Yeah. Right before this conversation and, you know, for him, you know, it's some and lots of different options for socializing and for him, just even these abilities to start moving back the time when he's socializing, making it earlier. Oh, so I said back, so making it earlier to clarify. Uh, and so, you know, moving that timing and then also the, uh, amount of alcohol that he might be engaging. I'm just using him as an example. And yet for all of us that we can shift out, there's more and more conversations around replacements and swaps that we can lean into. Um, to still have an element of a state change, but without then sacrificing our sleep. So how can we kind of have it all have balance um, is really what we're out to see. And then as we yeah. test, then it's that test don't guess side of things too, and layering in these, these metrics so that we can understand what works for us. Yeah. Really using that skill. So another skill, what do you think about sleep chronotypes? Do you yes. believe in that? And if so, I'm curious what you are. Oh, really good question. So here's what, um, so the sleep chronotype topic is such a good one. And I think there is an importance for us in the 21st century and, you know, right now, 2021 and beyond to really consider how much entrainment has been going on just based on our lifestyle and based on kind of the, the things that we're choosing to partake in and how much that can be playing a role in what we might think are kind of innate for us. So for example, for so long, I was hard and fast that I am a night owl, not even just a night owl, extreme night owl, like, you know, hardcore and, you know, a four I can, hour night owl. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, I can stay up till whatever, till the sun rises and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and then would be super justified and have all kinds of a body of examples and evidence that then I do my best work in the night. I'm focused. I'm this, I'm that. And then I surrounded myself with other option poker players uh, that were also in alignment. Yeah, me too. Uh, and that was <laughs> sort of the environment. Uh, so, yeah. so from that place, the fact that, so how do we reconcile the fact that now, you know, certainly myself and my uh, fiance, now we often are rising with the sun and this is this whole other world. So one, we can stand in the fact that um, because we know that our circadian rhythm can be entrained, uh, that there is, uh, it is malleable and that there is a shifting nature. Of course, we know that there is a tendency for sure of different people to kind of gravitate towards particular ways of being, um, and that it's not static and then it shifts and it's very much dynamic and shifts throughout the course of our lives. I and mean, we see this kind of shifting for many people. Um, and not only in the need the amount of sleep that's required, um, obviously needing more sleep as we're younger into teenage years, and then over time, kind of a, a downshifting of the amount. And then certainly later on in life, then uh, often requiring less sleep or having more, um, a kind of shifting of that, the sleep requirement, sleep need. So from that place, I think there's an, a really important element to how can we, from the circadian lens, shift some of our behaviors and see what the results are. So an example is out of university of Colorado did a, a really interesting study of taking people that often were living more on that kind of night owl side of things and, you know, very connected to screens and, um, a lot of electronics 
electronics and, you know, there was a particular way that they were running their lives. And then they brought them um, camping for an extended period of time. And within a relatively short period of time, they start um, kind of shifting more in alignment and in alignment with that circadian rhythm side of things when the sun is rising and the sun is setting. So, you know, in a really significant shift in the bedtime and wake time and being able to kind of uh, adopt to that seemingly pretty effortlessly just based around the triggers or cues in their environment. So from that place, it does have us notice that there can be that ability to shift. So I think the more that we avoid uh, locking ourselves into a type of label, and I also believe this is really important in psychology too, when a lot of people will say, well, I'm a, you know, I'm an extrovert and I'm an introvert and I'm a little, uh, and so, and yet there's so much that that can keep us locked in to then further support our ideology or our um, assessment of how life is is. So I think there's a lot of empowerment to, you know, one, re-explore, but two, you know, there's certain things we can test for and there's tendencies of different people. So that's, you know, something you can't, you know, refute per se, but I think there's absolutely an opportunity to shift our ways of being based on, you know, our goals and what we're out to achieve with our health. That really reminds me of metabolic typing, this uh, nutrition quiz that I use. I find with a lot of people, sometimes we don't get really an accurate picture because because if your microbiome is, you know, strengthened for sugar and carbs, you may think that you're more of a carbo type, but once you start to clean out your diet and just eat more real food, sometimes it's revealed that you are a mixed type, a protein type. So it's sort of like just finding your baseline, coming back to neutral and then retesting. So I think you were already going in this direction. I know I believe, and I have believed for a long time that I'm a dolphin and I catch myself sometimes being like, well, I'm a dolphin because I can't nap. And that's such a pet peeve of mine when people are like, I can't do something, but I said it, I can't nap. And <laughs> I'm a light sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> and like that programming is so strong for me. So mm-hmm. how would someone like a dolphin who is maybe like an insomniac or a wolf who likes to stay up late, how do you even begin to come back to a baseline where you could start to explore other options? Yeah, such a good question. Um, and and believe me, oh my goodness, when I was struggling with my sleep, I was, uh, I'm a dolphin through and through. And there's probably, there's no hope for me. I'm always going to be one part of the brain asleep, one part of the brain awake. Yep, look at how me, it is. my eye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and, and then just really this uh, opportunity to see shift. And we'll see people make some of these shifts naturally. You know, if people listening might've seen, oh, well, I was a particular way and then I had kids or I was a particular way. And then I got this other job and then blah, blah. So all these things, uh, show us how much we can shift things based on, you know, external structures or goal points that we now have for ourselves. So one, there's another framework that can be important in any conversation to improve our sleep. Um, one of the frameworks that we create uh, out of sleep as a skill is called the sleep tripod. So, so it's looking at having workability between your psychology, physiology, and environment. And then from that place, then uh, getting clear on what are some of those things that might be impeding some of our goals with our sleep. So one, if, if in the psychology side of things, if there's something acute that's happened, there's been a death in the family, there's been, um, you know, you lost your job, um, divorce, different large things. Often we will see more difficulty with sleep. And then also very commonly seeing kind of chronic uh, stressors that are in the space and then difficulty for us to be able to kind of calm our nervous system accordingly, be able to relax enough to get some of those naps throughout the course of the day or what have you. So, you know, really seeing that that can be so common for so many of us, that was when I couldn't sleep. Oh my goodness. There was no chance of getting a nap, uh, you know, so why? tired, but tired. Uh, so I really, really hear that. And from that same place, then looking at our physiology, and I know both of you are so, uh, knowledgeable in this area too, of the testing side of things of understanding, uh, well, okay. If we've got, you know, thyroid issues, if we have, uh, deficiencies, mega deficiencies in certain areas, uh, magnesium issues with iron B vitamins, all these other things. And obviously sleep is going to have some problems in alignment with that. Uh, and so then in addition, to looking at that area, then uh, we're also looking at environments. So we have our clients send over pictures and um, often video of their space. And so looking at where, what it looks like um, before they go to bed and then also their bedroom environment and shifting that. So, you know, getting really workability with all of these things, because then once we ensure that we're having a kind of stimulus control conversation at the appropriate times, as much as possible without being like dogmatic or neurotic, 
Uh, so a fine line, but you know, ensuring that we have that workability, then we can start to see, okay, well, even with all of these variables accounted for, then we're still having a particular type of tendency. Then we look deeper, but often what we do is the first, we do 90 day kind of packages for people with their sleep. And often the first um, bunch of weeks are just getting to neutral and just kind of having, you know, eliminating some of those counter cues. And then once we get that kind of out of the way, then we can start to see what else might be at play for them and some natural tendencies or deeply ingrained issues going on so that we can get more clear on how to make a lasting difference. Cool. That's amazing. Okay. Molly, we have so many more questions for you, but one that I'm dying to ask because this is not a selfish, like personal question, but I'm sure people listening are wondering this. Can we talk about sleep aids and what that's actually doing to our sleep quality and our heart rate variability? Because I hear this all the time. Oh, I take whatever and I'm knocked out for the night, but what's really happening? Are you talking about meds or supplements or all like meds? Yes. Um, Meds. Even like, um, like Tylenol PM or Ambien trying to think of the ones that like, I hear people using a lot, but yeah, absolutely. So not like, not just like CBD and magnesium. I'm not talking about those. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Really good question too, because also, um, you know, for anyone listening, I think there, uh, can be a lot of shame too, for people if they've been, you know, that was certainly where I was at with my sleep when I was, you know, that at a loss that, okay, I'm going to take this, uh, thing that I, oh my God, I never thought I would taking, but here I am taking it. So one, even if, if anyone's listening and either, um, is taking any of these or know someone that is, um, it can just be a really, uh, layered topic. So, and when we're like, what are we talking about? Usually it's two different groups, often the benzodiazepine, uh, group for kind of aiming to calm, um, some of these stressors and anxiety for people before sleep to get that sleep. Uh, and then the other group hypnotics, you know, within the Ambien group, Lunessa, those sort of things. So both of those, while kind of functioning a bit differently, they're kind of, uh, sisters to a certain extent in some of the effects that we see for sleep. And the concerns are that one impacting our ability to get and maintain certainly deep sleep in particular with some of these, and which can be so challenging because then our ability to really properly recover throughout the evening, a mega reason for the process of sleep uh, is really uh, impacted. And there's also concerns then correlating, I'm sure, you know, a lot of us have seen some of the making the rounds more recently around correlations between sleep deprivation and dementia from a large scale study that was just released. But even before that, then there's conversations around correlations between sleep deprivation and neurological um, and neurodegenerative issues like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's and dementia. So when we are impeding that ability to get into that deep sleep consistently, there's some very, very real concerns that can come about. And um, also just the overall ineffectiveness over the long term for so many of these uh, drugs, you know, so many people, and I was one of them was like terrified of now not having them. Cause I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to sleep. Uh, and yet at the same time, sort of the, on average, the, the total, the augmenting of that total sleep is often very, very low, you know, different studies point to different things, but you know, 15, 30 minutes, um, of a difference is kind of what we're boiling it down to. But unfortunately the type of that sleep that we're getting is pretty concerning um, because it's a more sedated type of sleep. So what I see on my side, because every client that I'm working with is wearing a um, sleep tracker. And um, so I'll see shifts in respiratory rate when I can often tell when they've taken some of these medications when they haven't. And of course, you know, I think it uh, goes without saying everything we're talking about, you know, this is not advice, medical advice, then you want to always consult with your doctor. And this is, you know, a layered conversation and there's very measurable results that we'll often see, often see changes in heart rate, often see their heart rate being higher. Um, I'll see their HRV, um, often decently lower, uh, on the nights that they have taken these. I'll see, I mentioned the respiratory rate one, um, sometimes, uh, some of the shifts in body temperature as well, and then blood oxygen uh, shifts too. So it's something that that's just like one area of the piece of the concerns that come about from these. And then there's a psychological concern too, because now we're reliant upon something external and, and it doesn't just apply to the people that are taking prescription, you know, it can be some of us that, uh, well, I have to have this perfect stack of 
oh my God, 12 different supplements and this, that, and the other. And it's not to say I, there's not my there. sleep cabinet, <laughs> right? Right. Exactly. And it's not to say that there can't be some value and what have you, but there's also kind of from that ability, that self-efficacy of, you know, the sense that without these things, then I can't sleep. You know, there's some concern there. One of the things that we often point to that we're aiming to create is a life of um, kind of the desert island effect or approach so that you can be dropped on a desert island and still know yourself to get great sleep, you know, kind of night after night with, you know, nothing but the clothes on your back. <laughs> and this yeah. came from part of the goal was actually, this was um, a real sense of urgency for me because I had a fear that I wasn't going to be able to do all of this, you know, travel that I, in my brain was so important to, to me and creating a life that I wanted to, you know, was inspiring. And there was a sense that I can't do these things because then I'll have to be bringing all these, you know, things that I'm relying on. There's certain um, countries that you can't even go into when you have all these different drugs, um, that yeah. there's legal yeah. issues. And then also just, um, you know, if something happens, I lose the luggage, I, whatever. And just with this such shaky relationship to my strength and confidence around my ability to get great sleep, then throw you into, you know, jet lag, you know, different Airbnbs, like good luck. Uh, so, yeah. um, wow, really being able point. to, Ooh, right. So many factors. Oh, so many factors. Absolutely. So I have a personal experience and question, which is going to lead me into my final question. Um, I'm laughing. I was like pulling out my phone as you were talking to look at my sleep data from when I had COVID symptoms. I had the best sleep scores of all time in that yes. month. Like when I look back, it was like crown, 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 crown. I did Me take too. Tylenol yes. PM during that time because I was like, I never take this stuff. But right now my recovery is so important. I don't want anything to stop me from sleeping. Slept amazing. And it actually changed my baseline. So since April, my sleep scores have been terrible because everything's compared to that month where it appeared to be incredible. Yes. Is that the tech Crazy. or is there something else I'm missing? So really good point. Um, so one, uh, that's why there can be um, some concerns about different sleep trackers or one of the reasons. So one is that they're often going to reward you for higher amounts of total sleep. Uh, so there is that. Um, so just even kind of looking out for, because sometimes I, I'll have different clients that are on layers of different prescriptions and they will be getting crowns all over the place. And yet the, the quality of that sleep we know is in question. And then when we look at some of these kind of readiness indicators, the, some of the things that we discussed, uh, there with HRV heart rate, um, other things. Uh, so one, it's being able to know kind of what to look for, because unfortunately those, uh, these trackers are not infallible. There's still concerns with some of them or, well, totally. you know, with the consumer grade right now, there's a lot of issues. So for one, one thing that I often tell people is to, for any hand and wrist based trackers to really largely, um, not take too much stock into the sleep stage classifications, uh, mm. because often those right. are going to, you know, many of the studies have it kind of a coin toss of their, um, abilities to spot these different stagings, um, as compared to a polysonogram. So, and a lot of people get really, really stressed out about some of these numbers, Yeah, um, like REM sleep. I see people having attacks about it. It's like, well, that's yeah. probably not even right. <laughs> You'd be, yes, dead. And, You'd be right. dead if you weren't getting it. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, then they go, their heads explode because then you start having all these different trackers. And then on the other tracker, it says, oh my God, I'm getting so much RAM. The other tracker says, I know. And then the deep sleep. And, ah. uh, so, so unfortunately we're not quite there yet with those. There's some promising developments with the head based trackers. Although I haven't still seem to have, uh, struggles with a number of people for, uh, the usability on the head based ones, just, you know, they're just not as usable. Uh, there's a lot of falling off. There's a lot of incomplete data, that sort of thing. Um, but I do think we're on the verge of some improvements there. Also, what you're speaking to too, um, some people notice differences with the histamine element of things. So when they're taking over-the-counter, you know, uh, supplements for sleep aids, and then there's that antihistamine effect, kind of like Benadryl and different things that we might be taking. Depending on the person, there can be shifts in some of the um, sleep readouts that we'll see. So definitely continuing to uh, test on that. But then there are some concerns around what is the quality of that sleep look like over the long term, And that one definitely still needs some more studies uh, to be pulled yeah. on that. So some people will look at things like the 
reliance on uh, say like Tylenol, Advil, and then also the PM quality of it. So that any histamine effect and how some people will see exactly what you saw too, that improvement. I had um, something similar like that too. And there were certain improvements in some um, stats and then certain odd things happening with other stats. So we do need more studies, unfortunately on that one, but overall there's uh, there's a look at some of these, the reliance on those over the long term and shifting some of the quality of the sleep staging, which unfortunately, as we just spoke to, we can't really be confidently measuring with some of our consumer trackers, but when tra- when looked at on polysonograms, seeming to point to more challenging readouts of maintaining proper sleep architecture when we're leaning into some of those over-the-counters uh, consistently. Yeah, helpful. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to have to have you back on to do like an entire tech gadget episode because you know so much about that. Yeah, I'm panicked because we're running out of time. I'm like, don't go. I know, I know. (laughs) And I know you have to run. If we can ask one final question, one piece of advice you can give to our audience that they can start doing today. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I think a two prong approach. So one, just standing in this context, um, that, you know, sleep really is a skill. And so from that place, there's no shame in the game. There's no like, you know, certain, um, programming or certain way that you are, that's just sort of, you know, you're, you're screwed. You're this, you're it's, it doesn't have to look like that. There's like any great skill. Um, you can start fresh, start at one one and then see what's possible. So from that place of kind of childlike curiosity, then starting to take on an experimenter's lens of, and uh, both of you are such fantastic proponents of this and really creating a forum for people to learn and to experiment, to see what works for them. So with that experimenter's lens, then absolutely tracking in some way, shape or form. If you're already tracking, then starting to uh, really play with how we can layer in some of these uh, that, you know, circadian lens. So we have people really sit with just, you know, basically a spreadsheet of their, of their day and creating their ideal day through this lens of circadian uh, rhythm entrainment. So what would that look like for you? What could you really commit to seven days a week and make it livable and workable within your lifestyle, within your preferences, what would really inspire you, you know, and then really if our days are our life, then what could that look like, you know, really to have a life that you wake up um, excited to start in on whatever it is, your morning routine with, you know, I just spoke with, uh, another client who was like, yeah, I'm going to move my Peloton outside to get my morning sun and listen to podcasts. And, and like, for him, it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, so whatever it could be for you, you know, and it might make it work for you, make it work for you and be able to be excited about this, be able to then see that real kind of cause and effect. And then our ultimate goal is that you don't have to think about all of this. So, so much So you're not having, oh, I need to get the perfect meditation thing like at night because my brain's still going. Cause I've, you know, haven't really been in the conversation of some, all these things I could do starting when I first wake up that will really help support me so that this is all kind of handled. So leaning into this and then testing and experimenting and course correcting, uh, cause you know, often people then will get all inspired and they'll say, yeah, I'm going to get up with the sun and it's going to be amazing and blah, blah, blah. And then two days go by and then the whole thing's <laughs> gone out the window. Yeah. So, you know, not getting discouraged, but then kind of, you know, adjusting and then also allowing for the, for the body to adjust just like any other time when you're traveling internationally or whatever, and you jet lag, you know, you give yourself the grace to adjust. And that's the same thing we're looking to do uh, here. And then of course, I know you guys speak to this a lot, but just making the most important push for that morning sunlight, that anchoring system. Uh, so if you do nothing else or get nothing else out of anything I've said today, uh, hopefully it's that anchoring, um, of the first half of the day and, you know, the outside, uh, nature that that can bring about to just really be a part of something that you look forward to hopefully. And that there's a real kind of cause and effect with that timing. And then when you're going to get tired later on, and it's a strategy too, for shift workers, you can, uh, if you want to get, you know, tired later or poker players or whoever you're talking about, uh, there's a real strategy because then you can actually, you know, delay the timing of that first shot of light because there is such a clear um, impact of the timing of this. And then when you're going to get tired later on in the evening. Uh, So hopefully that's all clear and can feel like a bit of a kind of, you know, superpower when we start leaning into it. Amazing. You were just filled with advice. You're a sleep connoisseur. I love it. Thank you. This is so wonderful. Where can our audience find you? 
Awesome. Yes. Well, uh, and thank you guys so much because I feel like what you're standing for is uh, just really, really inspiring. I know making such a difference. So I'm excited to be a part of this conversation. Um, Yes, absolutely. And then as far as places to go, um, sleep is a skill really acts as sort of a bucket of all the things. So if you go to sleepisaskill.com, we have a sleep assessment on there that will, you know, really quickly send you back an email that will have kind of tailored responses based on what you're dealing with, with your sleep also signs you up for a weekly newsletter where we aim for that to be, um, really, you know, kind of value packed is our goal, um, around all kinds of different things that you can do to make a difference with your sleep, different studies coming out, news, uh, different topics there. Molly uh, knows it's my favorite newsletter. <laughs> So when Renee says that every Monday, (laughs) Renee makes my week every, you know, when she throws that out, it just makes me so happy. Uh, you know, it's a great newsletter. Seriously. I have, oh, well, I have so much fun with it. And I also really encourage people to respond with any call outs or if they like a certain thing, yay. If they don't like a certain thing, let us know too, because we really want to keep evolving this, improving it. So, you know, no matter where you're at in your sleep, our goal is that you can, um, you know, up level this. So that will also include our weekly podcast. So you can, you know, if you want to go in deeper on that. And if you're really struggling or, you know, just are curious to up level, uh, then we do have uh, 90 day packages one-on-ones and also cohorts. Um, we also have some exciting stuff coming with some partnerships with some hotels to start seeing like some, you know, kind of sleep offerings a bit more and more while you're traveling. So, you know, really excited to further, you know, bring more and more, um, of us into this conversation, because again, if I hadn't have had, if I didn't have the experience I had, I'm sure knowing me, I would still be doing all those things, you know, without, without question, probably. Um, and it really, really transformed my life. And I'm just, you know, super passionate to help support others to, uh, shift their relationship to their sleep as well. Great. Amazing. All right. And so we'll link to all that in the show notes and we'll share all your social media. I know you're very active all over the place. So we'll share all of those as well. (laughs) Yeah, you do a great job. You do a great job. Thank you so much, Molly. This was so much fun. And can't wait to hang out in person next week. Yes. Yes. We're going to get amazing sleep. Ah, yes, yes, we are. You know We're going to need to biohack our Airbnb. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> we'll have to talk about some strategies there. Okay. I'm going to bring the stickers and my nightlight. Yes. We'll make a list and we'll kind of. Yes. I love it. Oh my goodness. We might have to do some kind of a content creation right on site with all this is we're going to have some good stuff. That's a great idea. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This is such a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the biohacker babes podcast head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking.